What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 63. It is 63, isn't it? Yes. Of the Triad Method podcast. Um, I'm here with Mr. Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, I am absolutely fantastic, young Gary. It's too easy. Last week we did a Q&A episode, so that was a bit of a, a novel one for you guys. But this week we're getting back to a more specific topic. But we will actually also discuss some questions at the end. So this week what we wanted to touch on was a topic that I think I would like to have heard discussed when I was a beginner especially, um, because I think everyone lies somewhere on this spectrum. So we're going to be talking a little bit about training planning or training programming and how there's this sort of like spectrum between one end of the spectrum where people go to the gym, totally wing it, change their program every day and have no consistency. And people on the other end of the spectrum who feel they need to follow a specific program down to the T, like it's some sort of like religious doctrine. It's like, you know, if you, if you go off of it by one little bit, you've sinned and you're not going to make gains. And I think both ends of the, spec- of the spectrum have problems. And I think if you can understand what each side of the spectrum, each type of person does right, you can actually make far better training decisions. Because personally, and something I try to instill in my clients, is the idea of being a bit more flexible with training. So people always talk about you know flexible dieting and flexible nutrition and about adhering to principles as opposed to specific foods and specific meal plans. But then you'll see the exact same people take their training as the most rigid, inflexible thing ever, you know, and, and they'll, they'll have specific weights they need to hit on specific days, specific percentages of one rep max, and they're never willing to deviate from the program. And I think while that sounds like really good practice, it can come with some problems. What do you think, Paddy? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And especially, well, this is especially true because it makes it look like we have the same amount of knowledge that we have in nutrition. Like, or it makes it seem like we have the same amount of knowledge in training as we have in nutrition. Like we have pretty good first principles, foundational knowledge in terms of nutrition. There's still huge, huge gaps in our understanding, our knowledge. And most people who understand nutrition are willing to accept that and acknowledge that and are working to, you know, get over that however it makes it look like the the training side of things when you're like oh no you need to have this exact percentage you need to do this exact amount of volume you need to do x y and z exercises it makes it look like this is some sort of scientific you know this is the exact ideal program if you deviate from this you're just unscientific you are you're you're basically you're going to be getting no gains you're going to lose muscle you're going to lose strength you're 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 destined for failure you know and and that's what it makes it seem like when you acknowledge that there's a degree of flexibility that you can have in your nutrition but then you say like there's no flexibility in regards to your training now obviously we're, we're tarring loads of people with the the same brush by kind of saying this and this is not to say that we are anti percentages anti you know strict training plans it's not like we're giving our like uh, clients being like here just train like we're not giving them no training plan like so obviously we are giving them a training plan we are organizing training in a coherent manner i'd say whatever you want to say you know and 
the, the, the dichotomy here is like you're saying there are those two people those two extremes where it's like this training plan is the secret the the method the perfect training plan whether it's you know a training plan devised by some bodybuilding coach that you're like he knows exactly the secrets look at his laundry list of champions you know or it's by some uh, professor and they study strength and conditioning and they have this perfectly laid out like powerlifting program for you right and you have that kind of extreme where it's like this is the exact secret the the plan and then you have the other person who goes in and goes yeah like i'm just not really feeling that today so i'm going to do this exercise instead of that and you know actually you know i actually just prefer training chest and arms so that's really all i ever train like legs sometimes sometimes i hit them when i'm feeling like it you know there's there's no consistency there's no rhyme or reason to to the overall structure of their training plan and it's very wishy-washy and like we've talked about before based on feelings like based on different feelings in terms of you know they're like ah like legs today nah like i'm not gonna hit them because that's generally what people skip <laughs> um, yeah. um or they're kind of like yeah like i'm i have the overall goal of hitting chest and say shoulders and they'll just kind of go in and do a couple of like fluff sets here and there and you know maybe they hit some heavy bench and maybe they just do some laterals they didn't they're not really counting sets or reps they're just kind of going like yeah like there's the blood in the muscle that's that's good i got a good pump from that or a good connection with that like you'll often hear them say and it's like yeah i just did a handful of sets there and it's like there's no there's no consistency. Like if you were to ask them like in a week's time, be like, Oh, how are you going to progress that? They're like, Oh, well, I'll just go in and get a pump again. Like, you know, there's no, there's no overall structure or what you would maybe call periodization to their plan. So there is that kind of dichotomy between the two people. And like you were saying, Gary, there, there probably is good aspects to both approaches. Well, there definitely is good aspects to both approaches. And I think that somewhere not even in the middle like i'd be i'd lean more towards the the quote-unquote ideal secret program than <laughs> the uh that go in hit whatever you feel like but i think taking aspects from either side does allow you to have a more beneficial training experience it allows you to have a more consistent and structured training experience yeah, and I think like you can apply this on, on multiple different levels. Like for example, when it comes to actual like sports training and like like training an actual a whole team, this this sort of thought process becomes like really really important because if you think that you can just you know have the perfect program for every individual and predict exactly how their outcomes or what their outcomes are going to be over multiple months, like some people will do when it comes to periodization. I think that's 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 quite a problem because like realistically you're not going to be able to predict what an individual needs on consecutive days for consecutive weeks for consecutive months and predict some sort of perfect output which is essentially like the thought process that you would have seen from a lot of like the soviet periodization authors like throughout like the 20th century you know that was the idea it was kind of like basically one person arguing with the next person about whose, whose periodization structure might be better and like john kiley has written a lot about that and you can listen to some podcasts with him to to get more of an idea of how that actually applies to to sports training in general you know kieran o'regan has written about that as well he's written about and if you go to like complementarytraining.net 
you can read about how that how, how that can be likened to like Marxism versus capitalism, which is quite an interesting thing to, to think about. But what we're focused on here really is the, the the sort of individual trainee who is that general strength or hypertrophy trainee. So if you've got those, if those are your longer term outcomes, realistically, there are many, many, many ways that you can actually get there. And I think when people start to seek out the optimal program, it becomes a very futile you know, pursuit because there's just there's just no way of finding out what that optimal program is for you and and in the last podcast in the um in the q a one of the things we discussed was how we can use evidence to guide basic training principles but it's very unlikely we're ever going to get research papers to tell us exactly how we should train like that's very unlikely to happen you know for multiple different reasons whether they be genetics or you know psychosocial factors in your own life all these things affect the training that's going to be appropriate for a person at a given point in time and that's kind of why i like that idea of flexibility for the for the everyday person because if we have let's say a three-day full body program that i follow okay so i'm following this program but if i zoom out and i actually ask myself what is in this program and i see that there's a you know the the, the repetition range in general is, is six to fifteen let's say I seem to be doing about eight sets of squats per week. When I zoom out and start to look at those things and I look at the total number of sets, the exercises that are featured, etc., then I can start to think about how I could apply that flexibly. For example, if I normally train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I don't actually have the time this Friday, but I could do a little bit on Thursday and a little bit on Saturday, if I'm accepting of some flexibility there, then I can change that program while still adhering to the overall goal. So that program then becomes more stable over time because me missing one day does not disrupt the actual training outcomes or the adaptations that we're looking for. And you'll see this crop up in, in, in the typical kind of quote unquote bro splits, like you mentioned there, Patty, you know, the, like someone skipping leg day, for example. So like, like the, the, that, that website I mentioned, complementarytraining.net, there's a paper written there by the, the owner of that website, Mladen Yovanovich, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. We sent that to our email list last week. But basically what he was talking about was the difference between an, op, an optimal versus a robust program and what happens over time when you, know, you have missed training sessions, for example. So in the case of a bro split where, let's say, you do legs on Friday, you might notice a pattern over time where you actually seem to consistently miss Friday sessions. So that, that missing of a Friday session, if that's constantly one fixed session, like where all your leg volume is, is, is put into one session, if you're missing that in consecutive weeks over time, think about how that actually magnify, magnifies in terms of your outcomes over multiple weeks, multiple months, multiple years. Like before you know it, you've, you've done, let's say, 50 upper body sessions and only 10 lower body sessions. And even though you had the intent to train legs and you may very well have had lots of really you know, challenging sessions within that period of time, it actually accumulated over time to have to, for there to be a very big difference in the volume allocated to upper versus lower body. So that's why, why flexibility can start to become useful. And I think that that sort of full body training approach is a nice way of exemplifying how flexibility can be super useful because instead of focusing on, let's say the rigidity of performing one exercise after another, you know, it having to be that way, or the rigidity of your sessions having to follow a certain team, for example, like a push session, you know, that it has to be a push session. When you have a full body structure, what you begin to do is just focus on the actual principles. Okay, so things like 
the total number of sets that you're doing, the rough intensity ranges that you're working in. So like, you know, the repetition ranges you're using, how heavy your weights are, um, how frequently you're hitting body parts per week. You start to focus on those things and then you've got flexibility that you can, you can delegate that training around the week if you actually need to. And I think that's a really practical structure for the everyday person. Now that doesn't mean like you were, like you were alluding to, it doesn't mean that you just write up all your training on a board for the week and say, oh yeah, I'll get it done when I get it done. You know, <laughs> you still have to have a plan. But if you're able to zoom out, have fl some flexibility, it can be super helpful for long-term adherence. And that's the exact same to, as how people generally talk about nutrition. You know, we often talk about the zoomed out approach to nutrition where like if you're over 200 calories and, uh, from, from your specific target on one day and you're under the next, I don't particularly care. You know, I care about your weekly averages. I care about your monthly averages. And I care about whether or not you're actually doing the things that are required for you to reach your goals. So, so that's really where that flexibility can start to become useful. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is something that when you first hear it, especially if you're coming from the perspective of maybe always having followed a, a push-pull legs, push-pull leg split, like six-day split, or, you know, even if you're like a, an upper-lower split or what, whatever split you're following and you've always done kind of... And, uh, a certain day has a, a theme you can look at this and listen to this and kind of go and what the fuck are these guys talking about there's no chance i'm doing squats on my chest day like not a chance i'm not putting oh, any God. lower body volume there you know and that's fine that's that's actually not what we're actually saying like it obviously is but it's not what we're saying as well like what we're saying is you take that zoomed out approach and go this is what i want to do with my overall week of training volume, my overall week of training intensity, my overall week of exercises, whatever it is that you're actually focusing on, you know, maybe it is that you're just, I want to get good at squats. So you're, you're doing more volume in squats and some of them are light, some of them are whatever, they're, they're heavier, whatever it is, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, so what is actually contributing to my success? Is it the fact that I have a lower body day, an upper body day, a lower body day, an upper body day? Like, is that the, the thing that's contributing to your success? Or is it the, the total volume and intensity you get throughout the week? And realistically, at the end of the day, it is the consistency factor, whatever you want to call that, you know, where it's like, this is what I'm doing repeatedly over time. And that all adds up. Like, you're not going to remember in six months time whether you did a set of squats on your upper body day like it, it's it's going to be irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, especially if that allows you to actually get a little bit more leg volume in and thus progress that little bit more. You know, obviously it's not a direct correlation between volume and progression, but you know what I'm saying? Um, so while we're not saying you have to change from your, your beloved chest and shoulders or push day to this, you know, full body split. That, that's not what we're saying as well. And obviously there are certain, we'll call them techniques, methods that would require you to have a, uh, a specifically themed goal. Like say, for example, you're doing something that is to just be, you know, maybe drive, a, we'll call it metabolite training. I know some people call it that, where you're like, it's literally just about the pump. Like that might have been programmed on your training program for the end of your upper body day, we'll, we'll say, for example. So that was with the the assumption that you've already trained the, the progressive overload stuff earlier in the session and you're literally just going, oh, I just want to get a sickening pump from this exercise. Like that, that adaptation is going to be different if you do no, nothing 
upper body before that. Like you literally just tag that on to the end of your, your lower body day, say for example. Now, is that something that we need to be like, oh, well, look, you might as well not even do it then. No, not at all, right? So again, you have to look at the, the, the broader scheme of what you're trying to achieve with every single exercise in your training program. Again, we're not saying you have to follow a, a full body split. Like I don't follow a full body split. Like I like, uh, a, a, well, I do lower, upper, day off, lower, upper, day off, day off, you know, um, with my resistance training, right? And I like that. I like being like, okay, I go in, I know I'm training my lower body and that's what's getting hit. You know, I'm like, that's what I'm going to feel muscular fatigue in. I know I'm going to be able to recover from that before I go into my next lower body day. So it'll be Monday, Thursday. And I'm saying with the, the upper body day, I know it's a, a Tuesday, Friday. I, I know that, right? But I am not so focused on the minutia of like this, this is when I have to hit this. Like if I missed a session, I know like generally the first two exercises in my, my workout, I'm like, they're, they're my, my key sets. I'm like that. As long as I get those done in the week, it's cool. So if I know like I have an extremely busy week and I can only get to the gym twice, you know, that, that's literally all I can get. I know I can go, right, we're going to do two full body days and we're going to pick the, the two progression exercises from we'll say that the Monday, Tuesday session. And it's like, I know I'm going to do, we'll say for example, um, for me, it's like squats and RDLs on the Monday. So I, I'm going to do those on my first session. And then the Tuesday session is generally uh, bench press and bent over rows. So I would just do a full body session that would have those four exercises. Same with the, the next full body session I would do then. Again, it's generally uh, deadlifts and front squats. And then it's also uh, overhead press or incline press depends on where what I'm focusing on. But generally, they're the two that I kind of switch between. Um, and chin-ups, right? And I literally do another full body session with those four exercises, you know? So again, I'm looking at the, the bigger picture. of what, what is my training trying to achieve? What are my main things that I'm focusing on? Can I then go, okay, look, we pick and choose because I don't have the time available. Yes, I'm losing some volume overall because I'm not doing the other exercises that I do, but I have a little bit of flexibility going like, these are the key things that need to be focused on. And this is, again, something that also applies if you have more training days. Because I see a lot of people and they do follow, you know, five, six-day splits, right? And that gives you very little wiggle room, right? Because you have an off day, you have a busy day. It's like you've just lost one of your days. You know, we'll say again, you lose the, the Friday session, right? And that was going to be... We'll say you're on a legs push pull that was going to be your your second push session of the week like if you have complete rigidity in your programming and you're like i i've, I've just lost that session it's gone like rip my gains you know it, it's gone right if you have that rigid mindset that it's like oh no it has to be done this exact way then you, you're just going to lose that, that that session whereas if you have that little bit more flexible approach you can go okay well what were the key lifts maybe that i needed to hit in that session i'm just going to bring them onto my saturday session or maybe you then change your saturday session to uh, an upper session where it's like okay cool now i'm just going to do the the push and pull in the same session you know so like having that little bit more flexibility in your approach does allow you to you know be more flexible and actually achieve what you're trying to achieve with your your overall programming and so i I don't want people to think that we're just talking about like oh you need to hit full body sessions and that's the way 
to go with everything because I know like like personally I actually don't like hitting full body sessions like like yeah. I'll get them done but I'm like I actually like having like a, a theme to the workout where it's like I'm going in I know that I'm going to hit these things however you have to look at it again the, the bigger scheme like again that grand picture that we're talking about where you have to look at what you're actually trying to achieve with the training program as a whole because you know if your approach is to accrue the the most amount of volume that you possibly can you know maybe a full body approach actually allows you to do that you know like and what i mean by that is like actual quality work as well because say for example you want to hit we'll say nine sets because it's an easy number nine sets of squats in a week like doing that over three full body sessions is a lot or it's a lot more likely that you're going to accrue quality work over those three sessions rather than trying to do nine sets in one session, right? So you have to look at what you're actually trying to achieve. Like if your sole goal is to improve your squats, like I would rather have you squatting that a little bit more frequently with a higher quality of the sets that you do than just going like, right, we're going to hammer squats one day per week. You know, so again, you have to look at what you're actually trying to achieve. But anyway, I've been bullshitting for a long time. What are your thoughts, Gary? Yeah, that 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 last point you you started to bring up was essentially exactly what I wanted to discuss. What next was about why I personally do do full body. So, like, basically, the, like the reason I do full body is because for me that is a more stable approach over time. Given that I'm not always certain of when I'm going to train. Okay, so like, well. One of the things that's been a common feature of, let's say, the last two years or so of my life with being on placement, being in college, having a girlfriend that lives in another county is that I tend to, you know, go between here and there a lot, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of moving around a lot. Sometimes it's the case that it's more difficult to get to the gym on the weekends. And I used to try and fit myself into that kind of box of doing like a lower, lower, upper lower or push pull legs type of splits. And they, that was what I, I used to do in the past. But what that would then result in is if let's say, if, if it became a common theme, like I mentioned earlier, where I started to miss Friday or Saturday, then I would rather lose 10% of the volume allocated to multiple muscle groups than to lose 50%, let's say, of the volume allocated to a single muscle group or single movement, let's say. Because if I do, if I'm due to do, like you said, kind of six sets of deadlifts per week, let's say, and I do them on a Friday or had them programmed for a Friday, but I'm consistently missing those Friday sessions or even sometimes missing those Friday sessions, then I would rather have two sets of delicated, two sets of deadlifts, delicated, two sets of dead, deadlifts, um, delegated to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, lose two sets instead of six sets. And then that makes that program more stable over time for my generalist goals. Now, mm. if you if you were more of a specialist and you have very specific things you're training for and your Friday session is just kind of like, ah, it's not really adding much. It's a bonus if I get it done, but it's not really changing the specific qualities I'm looking for. Then that Friday session that you might miss might actually be a good placement of that volume. So for example, like it could be that your primary goals are powerlifting, but you wouldn't mind bringing up your biceps and calves, you know? So you might put your biceps and calves on that Friday session because that's the, the least stable session and the one that, that, that you're most likely to miss. So you're still getting all the most important work done. So this is where it comes down to like actually thinking about training on an individual level, because I think what a lot of people think of when they think of individualizing training is finding like 
the perfect level of volume that someone responds to or whether someone responds better to five reps or eight reps. Whereas in fact, if you can actually find the way that the way that that you should structure your training for adherence over time, and that is that that is the win. Like that is the because that's ultimately what's adding up over time, over weeks, months, and years to give you and, the results and, that you're. That's that's the exact same with diet. Like people talk about, like, yeah. should I follow a keto diet, a paleo diet, or whatever? It's like all of this is just noise at the end of the day because what we're actually trying to do is find a diet template, whatever the fuck, you know, that could be counting macros, that could be just portion control, it could be whatever the fuck, a specific diet. All we're really looking for is finding a diet that allows you to adhere consistently over time. And it's the exact same with your overall training approach. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, and, and it's, it's really relevant as well, like beyond lifting, because I think, I think that's, that's kind of clear, a lot of those points. But one of the areas I think this is really powerful is related to your conditioning or cardio training. Because people miss that all the time. And like the basic guidelines for health, like and I literally mean this like for health, not to be an athlete, not to be anything special, just to be healthy, is to get like a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise per week. Like that's five 30-minute sessions. You know, that's, that's actually not easy to get in and most people are not getting that done. And one of the interesting things is that like 150 is kind of a minimum and like it goes up to 300 and, the, and you know, the basic guidelines are like, you know, if you can get 300 done, get 300 done, you know, and I'm not saying that that is necessarily the same for everyone. And that, that applies equally to someone who doesn't exercise versus someone who already, let's say does six days resistance training. But what I'm saying is that that's your basic kind of bog standard guideline for health. So if you think about the fact that maybe you're only getting 30 minutes done at the moment, then think about how you could actually schedule that throughout your week in a way that is, you know, stable over time. Again, something that you could adhere to. Like if you just have that broad goal of, all right, I need to get 150 minutes per week. The, the worst thing you could probably do there is to say, I'm going to do five sessions of 30 minutes um, after every one of my resistance training sessions. Now that might be perfect for some people, but in a lot of cases, I've seen that fail because People finish their resistance training sessions. It's the point at which motivation is lowest and it's the easiest thing to skip because it's very often not tied strictly to your goals. So like what can be useful in some cases then is to say, all right, when, what day of the week would I be likely to do a longer session? And sometimes what people like doing on Saturdays or Sundays, let's say, is going for a hike with their family or friends, you know, doing something like that, uh, going for a kick around with the lads, something that is less formal but it's still meeting your basic exercise guidelines so you could knock out 60 minutes there on a saturday or sunday and then you're you only could, left you could you could knock out the entire thing on a saturday yeah. nice, <laughs> Easy. Nice hike, like you could be done for the entire week and what i want to just say on that as well is people like aerobic exercise like it, like i know people kind of think like aerobic exercise i'm going to be sweating loads i'm going to be fucking on a, a bike or whatever it's like it actually doesn't need to be that intense like that could literally mean you're going for a brisk walk on your lunch break, you know? So like, I know like, I don't want people to think like, Oh Jesus, I could never get those five 30 minute sessions in. Like it's actually surprisingly easy to get it in when you actually understand what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Like it, like it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I'm going for a yog. Like it, it could literally just be, I'm going for a brisk walk that gets my heart rate up just that little bit more than say like a, a leisurely walk would you know yeah yeah and the funny thing is it's actually harder as you get fitter as well because <laughs> i've actually found that i used to think that like 
you know, an incline walk on the treadmill in the gym, like that was enough for me to get to like 130, 140 beats per minute. And I could just do that and that'd be easy. Now, if I do that, it's like, it's nowhere near that. It's much lower. And I'm like, oh, damn it, man. Now you have to work even harder to, to get the same intensity to be considered moderate to vigorous intensity or whatever. And like that second part, that vigorous descriptor, like if you're getting vigorous aerobic exercise or conditioning training, then the, the guidelines kind of like 75 minutes. So if you're doing like really intense, like hit training, then you can bring down that goal a little bit. So like, obviously, like I, I don't like to tell people like that they need to get a specific number because ultimately that's not what it's about. It's about, yeah, you want to get close to that somewhere in and around that, but ultimately you want to be increasing your aerobic fitness over time. So like that, that's worth noting as well when I'm saying like, as you get fitter, it's harder to reach the same level. But at the same time, as you get fitter, you've already gotten a lot of the adaptations that are sort of mediating the health benefits already. So, you know, that is part of it too. And I think that's something that people maybe don't understand sometimes as it relates to um, like training and health as well, is that it's not actually just about the behavior. It's also about the outcomes. Like if you want to be training for health, you actually do have to get the outcomes of increasing your strength over time. You do have to get the outcomes of increasing your VO2 max over time. So that's like, one of the things that I think people forget because they think that, oh, if you're just training for health, you can just half-ass it. It's like, well, not really. Like, if you actually want to give your, the, yourself the biggest shot at reducing risk of disease, at prolonging your function, you actually do have to train hard and get ad- adaptations. So, so, so that is one of the reasons that this flexible approach is so helpful, not just for individuals who are into powerlifting or bodybuilding or any of that stuff, but the general population. Because I think that's where it's super, super useful. Because if you want to speak to your granny, and get her to exercise and you want her to get let's say 20 sets done per week then ask her like what way she'd be best able to do that it could be 10 minutes a day you know it could be that she does just a couple of sets every day every morning at a specific point in the day as opposed to having this rigid program so so they're the people i think this helps the most mm, and that's true as well and you have to think of your your overall goals because again like we've talked about it before people will talk about their goals and not actually have those goals like they'll they'll be like oh i know this is a, a sand bite that I, I should have as a goal i should have health as a goal but then they're literally not doing the things that would lead to the outcome of health you know and again like the, the cardio thing is something that gets a lot of people because most people will go in and go yeah look resistance training it's relatively easy to bang out in terms of like you can you can do it uh, a multitude of ways but like that does actually to some extent contribute to your aerobic fitness yeah. like you and like you're, you're talking about you know the actual outcomes like if you did nothing except resistance training and you were able to get your vo2 max fucking through the roof and you're able to get your heart rate down to fucking arrest a beast from resting beats per minute of 35 then awesome like you probably don't need to do extra cardio you know but if you're walking around and you're like yeah like my my resting heart rate is 70 to 80 you know i find as soon as i start you know pushing things to go you know walk up the stairs or something and i'm getting out of breath i'm starting to sweat and stuff it's like okay well like for you like i don't think getting your squat up to fucking double body weight is going to be the most effective way to improve your health i probably start thinking okay we need to do some cardiovascular work and like i actually hate like you're saying like i hate giving these people like oh you must get like 150 minutes like all i generally do with my clients is have like a cardio goal at the end of the workout and generally like i like i like calories because it allows people to kind of go from machine to machine and be like this this is what I'm doing. But that, that approach can 
be negative for a lot of people and like they actually need a, a specific like target as in like you need to be at like like loads of my clients also have like specific targets like we might be working on like a load of like gal players and stuff we might be working on a, a specific conditioning goal so it's like oh no you need specifics for your cardio like we have an actual like cardiovascular target an actual metric that we're trying to achieve but i think just gen pop i like i i actually like calories because it's like yeah do it over a variety of machines you can go for the the beats per minute you can go like oh i want this to be aerobic work i literally just like okay i want you to do 100 calories of cardio like you can do it higher intensity you can do it lower intensity but as long as you hit 100 calories whatever machine it's grand and i kind of like that approach for the generalist because generally what will happen is like some days you'll be like yeah look i actually wouldn't mind hitting it in a, a very nice just incline walk on the treadmill whereas other days you're like yeah i'm fucking i'm amped up i had fucking i'm ready 600 milligrams of caffeine before this give me that fucking airdyne bike and i'm gonna hit this i'm gonna hit fucking 100 calories as fast as i can you know like so there there obviously is that little bit more like you're saying flexibility in your approach when you have calories as a as a as a metric you can use time the same it's a little bit different uh but that that's why i like that approach but then i'll have like okay so we're going to do 100 calories say i'm just using that as an example across the four sessions that we have and then what i'd like to see then is we'd also get our, our 10k steps per day because in my mind that also contributes to it because if you're getting 10k steps per day like you are literally constantly hitting that kind of we'll say aerobic threshold where you're kind of like you have to actually be actively moving around and doing stuff to get your your activity levels up you know so in my mind i'm like that also contributes to it that doesn't mean that you necessarily count it towards your 150 minutes or your 300 minutes Uh, but in in my mind i'm like yeah like as long as you're getting activity throughout the day like i'm pretty happy with that you know yeah and, and i suppose like that just shows you as well how there are there are so many different components that go into like, you know, these different health outcomes. It's, you know, it's how much you're walking per day. It's even how fast you are walking. Like that's part of it as well. It's, you know, what your actual job is. Like I do work an active or a sedentary job. Do you, are you doing this additional cardiovascular work? How intense is it? How intense is it relative to your fitness? And then what's your strength training like? So it does all, it all does all add up and, and kind of come together. And, and that again is why this sort of, flexibility and some appreciation of uncertainty is useful because at the end of the day it's not just about the program it's also about the outcomes like like we just alluded to and when you look into the research it's actually really interesting on responses to training like some some people will have potent like huge increases in vo2 max just from lifting or from little bits of cardio respiratory training some people will not have any changes in vo2 max in responses to some training programs and again there's there can be some measurement issues there as well but what you're seeing is that there's a wide variety of responses both in terms of strength and muscle building and in terms of increases in vo2 max or aerobic capacity so if you think you can just predict someone's outcome purely from like some research paper like that's totally wrong just yeah and just like it's that's just clockwork determinism like that's like you think like the world works in like newtonian physics it's like oh like i put this input in and i get this output from that it's like that's that's not how the world works that's why as well if you ever listen to philosophy people who talk about determinism they're like oh determinism is correct it's like this like this means that you are literally 
well, it was that was literally the 1915, 1930s. Like you are literally a hundred years behind like physics. Like we know determinism, we know Newtonian physics is not 100% correct. So like determinism is incorrect. Like there isn't the, like, and, and I, I think people don't apply that thought process when they talk about biological systems. They, they just think of like, oh yeah, we put this input in, we get this output out. And it's like, that's, that's not how this system works. Like there's so many variables at play. And like you see this, especially in the, the health and fitness world with the, the, the calories stuff, people will think like, oh, I reduced my calories by 300. I should get, I should be able to predict exactly how much fat loss I get. I should be able to predict exactly how long I'm going to have to diet for. And it's like, that's not the way this works. There's all these other variables at play, like the, these, these hormonal systems that then change in response to that calorie deficit. Like, you know, like say like your knee goes down, like your, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, you just stop fidgeting, you stop moving around. You, you're, if you're not tracking your, your activity in some meaningful manner, like you don't even notice that that's gone down. And it's like, okay, cool. That's probably why you're not losing fat it's not some magic oh my metabolism is fucked and i need to have a cheat meal or something it's like no you you just you don't know the inputs you're not doing all the inputs to get the output that you're looking for so this is the same with training it's like you actually have to just take that big step back and it's actually really hard and like i appreciate that it's really hard for the the general population to do this because you just get all this information like even like when we're saying this here it's like you need to do this cardio you need to do this lifting you need to do this this and this you're kind of like Man, I'm just completely overwhelmed. What the fuck? Like, just give me a plan of action to do because, like, I, I don't know how to fit all of these different variables in to my schedule. Like, I have a nine to five job. I have fucking three kids. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, sorry, kids, have to go fucking go for a yog now. I have to hit my fucking 300 minutes of uh, aerobic activity. Oh, but I also have to get in my fucking three to four resistance training sessions. Oh, but I also have to get in my meditation. Oh, but I also have to track my calories. Oh, but I also have to do this. And like, like I understand and I appreciate that that is it's extremely hard for an individual to receive all this information. Like it just becomes noise. Like you're just like, I don't know what to focus on. I don't know what to focus on with my diet. I don't know what to focus on with my training. Like you're just at a loss to understand what you should do, which is again, this, this is why I think the, the, the taking from both approaches is the, the best approach. Like you need to have that kind of structure. You need to have a plan of action. Cause if you don't have a plan of action, like you're, you're never going to achieve it. Like you're saying, and it's the same with the diet and the training. Like if I say, Oh, all we really need to do is hit X amount of calories throughout the week. You know, like what this, and we've talked about this before, you know, when people talk about like, Oh, I need to be in a, a deficit of, we'll say, whatever, 3,000 calories throughout the whole week. People will be like, oh, well, I can eat at maintenance these days um, and then I can uh, eat you know, lower on these days. Or people will be like, oh, well, I can eat lower on these days and then I'm going to have these binges on the weekend and whatever else. You know, it's like, at the end of it all, like, you lose track of what you're actually doing. There's just, you're just throwing in all this variability and you're kind of like, oh, well, I didn't actually hit my carbohydrate goal. I was actually 200 over it because... I forgot that on Tuesday I actually had a little bit more and like I didn't account for that. And it, it just becomes really, really messy when you take away that in like that actual structured plan of this is our daily goal. Like, yes, we can have a, a kind of more 
flexible weekly approach where we're kind of like, okay, well, this is the, the overall deficit we need to hit or surplus or whatever it is. But for most people, having no structure to, to that day leads them to having no structure to the week. Like they, they inherently fuck it up. And that's the case with everyone, you know? And it's the same with the training. Like if I just go, oh yeah, like like we're, we're kind of saying here, like, oh yeah, you just need to hit your nine sets of squats or whatever. It's like, do them whenever the fuck you want. It's like, that's that's both helpful and unhelpful because then you go, okay, cool. I'm just going to do them on Monday. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Maybe it's this, the weekend you're saying you do it and then you miss that session. And it's like, again, it just becomes very messy. So how does someone traverse that landscape, Gary, where they, they need to have some sort of structure, but they want to keep that like flexibility element that we're talking about with the training, you know, where it's like, okay, I understand my overall goals, but I understand that I can kind of chop and change things once I'm still doing some, we'll call them KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, you know, once I'm still doing those, I, I know I'm working towards what I want to do. Like how does someone, like if I'm listening to this and I'm just that gen pop person and I'm like, I just want to, you know, lose a bit of fat, gain a bit of muscle, ha- be healthy and perform relatively well. Like maybe they play five aside on the weekend or on a Wednesday night or something like they, they, they want to perform relatively well. Like how do they traverse this landscape? Guys? Like, what's the plan of action? Yeah. So what you have to do is to first try to identify what, what your actual, like, what are the priorities within what you're doing? As in like the number of days that you train generally not relevant as in like there, it is relevant if you're going to talk about like six days versus one day, but the actual number of sessions that you do, I don't particularly care about that. I also don't care what you call your sessions. I don't care if it's a push session or if it's a full body session, right? If you want to get work done, start getting stronger, start building muscle, I care about right the the are, are you are you hitting all of the body parts or movements that are relevant to you? Okay, let's just play it real simple and say you want to get a stronger squat, you want to get a stronger deadlift, and you want to get a stronger overhead press. Let's say they're your biggest priorities right now. Okay, that's my first thing. I'm going to ask. Right, are you getting those exercises or variations of those exercises done? Okay, cool. All right, that's that's step one. Or right? you're, you're you're at least doing the exercises that you want to get better at. You know, then what I'd ask is like. What, what number of sets are you hoping to get done here? You know, if you were, if you were, pre, if you just did a previous program and you did six sets of each of those exercises and you made incredible progress, then I'd be saying, okay, you know, six sets per week for those exercises seems to be really good for you. All right. That seems to be like what went well there. So let's see if we can schedule those things first. So whatever you do, some of it on a Monday, some of it on a Wednesday, some of it on a Friday. But when we schedule that, we appreciate that if you do need to change that around for whatever reason, the what, what is within one session is not important, but what you do across the week is important. So then, so that, so then you start to build it from there and you start to put these different components together, you know, and, and you realize what is least important to you as well. Because I, spe- I see a lot of people that spend a lot of time in the gym doing things that they don't really care about, you know, as in like, like I, I love calves as a muscle group. You know, I think calves are savage. I think it should be everyone's priority to have big calves. <laughs> it's my lifelong goal. <laughs> but like, I need to leave. So many, but uh, genuine, genuine, like I see, I see people do their two leg days per week. And at the end of their two leg days, they'll train calves every week. But it's so half-arsed. Like you can tell they just, they're just doing it because it's kind of there. Like, 
it's okay if you don't want to train them, <laughs> you know, like you're allowed to make that decision. The same thing for, for like arms. Like I don't, I don't train my arms very often directly. Okay. I, I just don't enjoy it. Um, I, I train them sometimes, but not as frequently as I care about other stuff. So for me, like I don't force myself to really prioritize getting my arm training done because it's not important within the context of my goals. So when I look at other, exercises within my program like all right i really want to get those done if i get some arm work done that's a bonus but it's not particularly important you know someone's gonna arm bar me at bjj i'm like oh yeah that's my eccentric work done for the week there you go you know um so so you have to ask yourself you know what are those priorities for you you know some people some people spend lots of time doing just basic low intensity cardio work and you ask them why they're doing it and they're like oh i just want to get fitter and it's like but you're actually already pretty fit like are you like what, what, what's the goal here? And they're just like, oh, yeah, I just want to get fitter. It's like, well, what you're doing isn't intense enough for you to be getting fitter based on your current level of training. So really ask yourself, like, like, what do you actually want here? So don't just do things for the sake of doing them. And I know we've already said that there are certain milestones that you need to hit, like for health or whatever. But at the same time, I think prioritizing the things that you know you're going to do long-term and you know will give you the best results within the context of your goals they're the things you should, you should start with, okay? So if you can only get in 90 minutes of aerobic exercise per week instead of 150, like that's fine as long as you're doing that within the context of your goals. So that's the way I would think about this stuff. I would like someone to zoom out on their week and to have consistency from week to week. Like that's ultimately what you want is week to week consistency. But day to day, don't stress about if there's some variation within there. If it's the case that you find that when you start being more flexible, there's huge changes week to week. Like one week you're doing three sets of squats, the next week you're doing nine. Then that's the type of person I would say, all right, you actually need a bit more structure because you're actually not even getting like the basic stuff when we zoom out, you're not getting that done. So so that's the way that's the way I would look at this. Um, zoom out, see if there's consistency. If there is, see how flexible you can make it if you need to make it more flexible but not so flexible that it affects your consistency week to week, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think this, if you put this in an actual real world situation, like for example, one of my clients came to me and they were doing consistently doing five sessions per week, right? five resistance training session. We'll say it was a rough kind of upper, lower, and then a, a legs push pull, something like that. Right. So there are five sessions per week and making consistent gains. However, they're, we'll call it their overall stress load was actually quite high, right? And while they were making gains and they were making progress, their life was suffering, we'll say, in terms of like getting to the gym those five times. So that's, we'll say five total hours, maybe a little bit longer per session. Those five total hours in the gym were eating into their overall life with work, with college, with family, friends, everything right and for them looking like literally sitting down with them and going okay so let's see what we're actually doing across the week let's see what's actually contributing to the goals that you say you have let's see what's contributing to the the goals that you're not necessarily saying you have but you appear to have right and so we, we assess the program and we go okay so we're doing x y and z exercises because you want to increase them and you know we're doing x amount of volume because you know, you find that you respond well to that. But then we're also looking at this and we're going, your sessions are lasting an hour every time. And, you know, 
you're saying you want to progress these key things, you want to get these key outcomes, we'll say um, body composition wise, and you're doing this across five days. It's like about 20 minutes of every single one of those workouts is just fluff work that you're just adding in because you think that you're supposed to do it like that. You're like, oh, well, I do 20 minutes of calves. Well, I don't know who does that, but okay. <laughs> um, no, but you know, you're, you're doing like 20 minutes of extra work for, we'll say you're doing five sets of lateral raises and five sets of bicep curls and tricep extensions. And like really, you only really care about, like you're pretty happy with the, the size of your arms and the overall shape, we'll say, of your, your shoulders and you know you don't really care about progressing that too much but you're like i'd like to at least maintain that and you do find it helps with your your other lips maybe your chin-ups your your presses whatever right so all we did with that client was look at them and go okay so we're doing the five sessions per week this is eating into your overall stress your overall time there's this across the week there's about 80 to 90 minutes of fluff work that isn't really contributing overly or it isn't really contributing a huge amount to your overall goals. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to compress your, your workouts into four sessions. So we're going to still hit the key components of your thing. Like they were doing that kind of, again, we'll say lower, upper, legs, push, pull, split, right? And then we're like, okay, so all we're going to do is we're still going to keep some aspects of that and we're going to do a lower, upper, lower, upper, right? And what we're going to do is push the volume a little bit closer together in terms of what you were spreading out over five, now get spread out over four. And rather than doing five sets of these lateral raises and these kind of fluff exercises that, you know, they're contributing something, but they're not necessarily contributing a huge amount. It's like, we're actually going to do two to three, you know, depending on the time you have available to you on those four days, right? And that, that was all we did. We, we changed those five days to four days. We got a little bit of reduced volume, like we still got, the same volume on the, the, the key performance indicators, you know, the, the key lifts that we're trying to progress and the ones that are giving you 80% of the return, you know, um, and we, we were still getting the same volume on those. We were still progressing them. They were generally higher quality sets because now you've got four days to spread it over. You're a little bit more excited to get to the gym rather than going, oh, drag my heels, five days, have to get in here, sacrificing my overall life, social, whatever. And the difference in results was phenomenal and i don't even mean that in terms of like oh my god like you know i'm just this expert coach and i'm fucking i'm unreal transformations the difference in results wasn't because i came up with some super secret program where like this is the four day split that you need rather than this five five day bullshit you're doing you know it wasn't because of that it was because we were able now to be more consistent with the the workouts those workouts were of higher quality the her, overall life was of higher quality because you know they're, they're not then going like oh uh I can't see my friends and family or, Oh, I have to spend the, the time here in the gym on the, the Saturday. I, you know, I'm not spending time with my friends, family. I'm not able to get my college work done, you know? So overall stress like dropped dramatically. Right. And obviously that's a, a huge indicator. Sleep went up. Performance then went up. So we were doing four days, but because stress was lowered, sleep was increased, you know, that, that well, whatever you want to call it, that psychosocial stuff, uh, was improved because you know, they're actually now able to fucking go have dinner with their granny on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever. You know, they're actually able to do that now. And um, so all those other areas improved. And as a result, the, the training program improved. The, not even the adherence because they were getting the five days done, but the 
the quality of the work done across those four days improved. So they were getting much better results from looking at their, their overall program, assessing what they're trying to achieve and going, okay, so these are the things that are contributing. I don't need to be doing this across five days because I've actually just added in all this fluff work, which yeah, it's contributing somewhat, but it's not like it, that's the, the 80% of work that's only giving you an extra 20% rather than focusing on the, the 20% of work that's giving you the 80%. And we just brought it down to four days rather than five and everything, everything changed then as a result. So being able to create a structure that we had flexibility in because now it was more flexible because you know they could they could train across they had seven days to train four days if that makes sense so you know maybe tuesday was a little bit more difficult to get to the gym so it doesn't really matter i can do that on the wednesday whereas before it's like oh well if you miss that session you know now you're not going to be as recovered for your next session and you know mm, like you start losing the volume there the quality of the work isn't isn't as high Whereas now you have four sessions to spread across seven days. You're like, okay, I actually have a bit more free time. And this is the same approach you would take with like someone who does six days of training. Like the amount of people I see try to get six days of training in when they have like busy work schedule, busy college schedule, busy whatever schedule. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's fine. But as soon as you miss a day or as soon as you're not able to get that full day in, like, man, you start freaking out. Your stress goes up because you're like, okay, well, how do I, how do I now fit this volume? Like, maybe you do, maybe you've always had Sunday off and now you're like, oh, no, I need to train on Sunday because I missed the session and I have to catch up on it. And then recovery takes the hit and, you know, it, it, it kind of messes you up overall if you don't have the ability to be a little bit more flexible in your approach to getting the work that needs to be done, done, if that makes sense. But yeah. That's the name of the game, man. So the take-home points would be, firstly, zoom out, ask yourself what is important to you, as in, like, one, like, what might be meaningful, what you enjoy, but also what is likely to contribute to the outcomes you're looking for. Um, two, focus on getting the work done rather than solely how you get the work done. So rather than focusing on the number of days or the name of your session or the order of your exercises, focusing on focus on actually getting the stuff done um an easy way to do that is have, like having a checklist for yourself like to just have like literally in a copy book or on a whiteboard like your number of sets of squats your number of sets of deadlifts your number of sets of bicep curls that you need to get done per week and just tick them off simple then you can you can see how that flexible approach is working yeah, have a plan of action of how you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not exactly, just like yeah. oh yeah they're on the board oh fuck i forgot the the overhead presses i'm going in now to do 20 sets you know <laughs> Yeah, but if you do start to do that thing, like with the whiteboard, it can actually be quite like illuminating on some of the downfalls of a really rigid program. Because if you find that you actually miss, let's say, a couple of push sessions per month, even if it's just two or three, have a look at how that actually affects the, the volume that's being allocated to those exercises versus others. And you'll begin to see some of these problems for yourself because none of this is special knowledge. This is just literally observation of really basic concepts that you mightn't have heard like discussed or elaborated on before so it's just something worth thinking about for yourself so i don't have anything else to add but we do have questions paddy do you have anything else that you want to discuss before we finish up that segment mm, no i don't think so yeah i think if people just look at their training program assess what is actually getting them results and understand that they don't need to have some super secret magic program 
to get results and they realize that they can kind of spread the workout over a number of days that suits them. Like maybe it is, you know, you actually have the time to spend two hours per day in the gym and you actually prefer just training three sessions per week rather than six sessions. You know, it suits your schedule more, you know, like, cool. Like set your program up for that. Like, I don't care. Like at the end of the day, as long as you are consistently getting stronger, you are consistently progressing, you are going to get results. Like how you actually go about that is largely irrelevant it's just kind of noise in the background and this this is something that you see people they get overly overly dogmatic about training and it's like you have to do these things and it's like well like what are we actually trying to achieve at the end of the day like for example you're like oh you must squat and it's like okay well i'm that's fairly good advice you know <laughs> but it's like first of all what I'm trying to do is just get stronger legs. We'll say get more stronger and mobile legs, you know, and there are a number of ways you can achieve that. Now I could go into that program and be like, cool. I actually have a load of business meetings scheduled throughout the the month. And it's like, I'm going to get to the gym. And if I don't know what I'm actually trying to achieve with the exercises that I'm doing, I'm just going to go, I couldn't get to the gym. So I didn't do them. Whereas I think if you understand, it's like, no, I'm actually just trying to challenge this was a knee fucking knee flexion and hip flexion uh you're like okay well there's a number of ways we can do that or you're just trying to challenge the the squat pattern it's like there's a number of ways we can do that like you literally like i'm actually going to record a video because like i'm going away next week i don't know when this podcast is coming out i'm probably away by now um but yeah this will actually come out on monday so i'll probably be going away today um but i'm going to uh record uh, a video and just be like right this is what i'm bringing to the gym or rather bringing on holidays and it's like a band some sliders and it's like this this allows me to train a huge amount of things and like yes it's not as easy or easy to progress as you know resistance training like with weights and stuff but it's like i can still get a very effective workout in wherever the fuck i go which is some some key implements you know so you have to look at that and understand like, what are you actually trying to achieve? Like what's the outcome you're trying to influence and why are you bringing in these methods to achieve that? And once you understand that, you can go, okay, so I can actually be flexible both in my exercise choice, my, uh, the way, about, way I go about implementing these methods, but also the way I go about, you know, uh, structuring these methods across the week because at the end of the day again it's progressive overload in those kind of hypertrophy I put them in inverted commas uh, those hi- hypertrophy rep ranges that's going to get you you know increased muscle and improve body composition you know and again obviously assuming the diet is set up correctly but it's like w- once you realize that it's like you just actually just want to get slowly progressively stronger while keeping tension on the muscles it's like everything becomes very clear where it's like there's a number of ways i can do that there is not this secret super secret you must do this exact way or you must do these exact you know uh intensity it's really density most of them uh boosting techniques it's like i i just understand what i'm trying to achieve and the other stuff like yeah it keeps me adherent to training. I enjoy it. It's a bit of fluff work or it's a, it's a fun stuff. And it's like, yeah, that keeps me adherent. I enjoy doing that. But I know that these exercises, the, these rep ranges, these whatever are the things that are actually contributing to my overall 
results the most, you know? So once you get those hit, it's, it's fairly easy to continually get results because you're focusing on the big picture stuff, but you're also focusing on the, the key things that are getting you towards your overall outcome, you know? So I, I think people can get too overly dogmatic in not even just the structure, just in the, the, the methods, in the exercises they choose, whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's like, once you understand what you're trying to achieve, you can just pick and choose between the multiple methods that allow you to achieve that. Again, like looking at it from the perspective of progressing it, yes, some methods are going to be easier to progress. But that doesn't mean that if you have uh, an off week where you're just, you know, you're, you're traveling or whatever, that doesn't mean that you still, you just have to forget about your health and fitness goals. It's like you can still get quality work done. Like even if you're at home, it's like, like I always think it's, it's mad. Like people will be like, oh yeah, I'm trying to, to lose weight or I'm trying to get fitter or I'm trying to improve my movement, blah, blah, blah. But they, they won't do stuff like get up and go grab the remote. They'll be like, oh, here, pass it over to me. It's like this, all this activity does add up. Like, or even just like, you know, oh, reaching up to get stuff. They're like, oh no, I'll get someone else to do it. Or moving stuff around. It's like all of this stuff does contribute. Like again, even just walking up the stairs, all of this stuff contributes to your overall health and fitness. And while it might, see, might seem inconsequential, and it definitely is in that, 80% of stuff that's, you know, getting you to 20%, it does still all add up. And again, once you understand, it's like, okay, cool. I can actually just knock out a few sets of push-ups and accumulate a little bit more chest volume while I'm in work sitting at my desk or whatever. Like, it's very liberating. But anyway, Gary, let's, let's dig into some questions. Yeah, and another, another thing that we will touch on in a separate podcast that filters in really nice with this discussion is an overemphasis on the weight that is on the bar as opposed to the actual training stimulus. But that is for another time because I think we can touch on things like RPE and reps reserve and all that. Uh, so yeah, another episode, but you might be able to see how some of that might actually fit in. But we have a number of questions. The first one I'm going to answer is from Dylan Bo because this is actually really relevant to what we just talked about. He said, your general re resistance training guidelines for strength sport athletes so i.e someone who wants to actually get stronger whether it's like for powerlifting for strong man gin pop wanting to get stronger whatever um already training for sport five to six days per week so dylan in particular trains bjj so jiu-jitsu five to six times per week um so that's his kind of baseline context and i think you could actually take a lot from this episode dylan because like like i would actually use all of the information that we just presented as foundational stuff to because since this is actually secondary so this this strength training would be considered probably for someone who's doing like bjj as like almost general physical preparedness so gpp although you're you still have that specific emphasis on like strength being your particular outcome so that probably means like maximal strength so in that case what i would start with is picking 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 the things that are really important so let's say it is those three power lifts you start with those, you think about the amount of volume that is likely to be useful for you, like given your level of training, like whether it's, let's say, nine sets per lift per week, or maybe it's nine sets of squats, six sets of bench, and eight sets of deadlifts because you find that works based on experience, whatever it is, and then put those at the core of your program, whether it's two days or four days, you put those at the core, and then you add in in a minimalist manner is what I would say. 
So what you've realized is like if you're already doing jujitsu, you're already getting a lot of a lot of continuous low level training that's actually happening without you realizing it. So you're doing lots of like you know little bits of of, of benching here and there. You know little bits of kind of hip mobility work, little bits of like tricep extension. So all that stuff actually accumulates. So I would add in in a very minimalist fashion to see what is the smallest dose I can actually get good outcomes with as opposed to starting with something that is just like not achievable, like another five to six days of strength training. So that's where I would start. And then I would essentially just, just I, I would really take that flexible approach in this case, because there are going to be days where let's say you finish jujitsu and your hip is just pissed off with you. You know, it's not feeling good. It's not feeling like sets of one to three at 85 to 90% for today on squats. So instead what you would do is you say, all right, Another day of the week, I actually do, I generally do sets of eight to 10. So I'll put my sets of eight to 10 today at RPE, whatever, RPE eight, let's say. And even if the weight is lighter than it normally would be at RPE eight, you take that as it comes on that given day and you just do your sets at RPE eight. So I would say be flexible in the approach and also be flexible with loading on a given day because fatigue is going to come into things and there are going to be days where you're not as strong and that's fine because it's about training strength and not testing strength. So they'd be my main pieces of advice. Yeah, also one where you would actually want to bring in a little bit more structure, not necessarily in the, the actual day-to-day what you're doing. Like that is obviously going to be important as well, because obviously you want to pick like rep ranges that are suitable to your goal, exercises that are suitable to your goals, etc. But in terms of how you're actually going to execute the, the training plan. Like personally, like I do JITS like four days and I do like a, a kind of, we'll say boxing session on the Saturday as well. So like I have, I'm pretty much doing that kind of same schedule. And what I do is I have four, four resistance training days, just because I have the time I have recovery capacity, but I know like, I'm like, I do my resistance training in the morning. And while I have a flexible approach to the, you know, maybe on the, the Monday night, I was like, Oh, my knee got a little bit, or actually I'd be doing upper body on the Tuesday. So maybe my, my shoulder got a little bit banged up or something on the, the Monday class. You know, so I'd actually then just lower the intensity or maybe pick a few different exercises on my Tuesday morning resistance training session, right? So the, the exercises, the intensity, et cetera, can, can change in the session, but you need to have a plan of action of how you're going to actually get to the gym, or maybe you have like some exercises you do at home or whatever. You need to have a plan of action in terms of when you're actually going to get them done especially if you're training like jits five times per week you know you're definitely gonna have some sessions that are like absolute fucking hell grinders where you're like yeah like this is this is competition sparring a competition sparring class and it's like that's that's what we're doing like you know you you don't want to be programming in like your fucking heavy deadlifts an hour after that or you know you like maybe that like jits is your full focus so you don't want to be fatigued for that class like you have a competition coming up so having like again like heavy deadlifts and fucking squats the the morning before that maybe that's not a good idea for you so again you have to look at like what how you're your sport training is set up like you, you know which classes roughly that you're going to and you know like what those classes are going to entail. You know, maybe it is just some specific, uh, specific sparring. It's not that hard. It's like, you're just basically trying to get into a good position. As soon as you get mount or something, you're like, yeah, cool. Let's get back here. Um, so it's not that intense. And, you know, you have days which are easier, you know, maybe it is a better approach to schedule in your resistance training 
for those days. Now, personally, I like to do my resistance training in the morning and then do jits in the evening. But like, again, I don't know your schedule. Perhaps you could do it the opposite way around. Perhaps the only way you're going to get to the gym is if you do your, your jits last in the evening and then straight into the gym afterwards. I don't know your schedule, but having a plan of action of how you're going to actually achieve what you want to do in the gym in terms of when you're structuring them throughout the week. Like, yes, you can still have a little bit of flexibility in that. You still want to have some sort of plan of action so that you are ensuring that the goal still stays the goal, which is presumably to have your resistance training work complement your, your JITS work rather than like, again, there's, there's no point doing six sets of deadlifts an hour before you're doing a competition sparring class and you're just wrecked after it, you know? So again, having some sort of structure while having the flexibility to be like, okay, actually, you know, I'm a bit beat up or this is the only time I can get to the gym and I do have that competition sparring class later on. So maybe I'm going to take things a little bit easier today, even though I probably could go a little bit harder, but this is the only time I could get to the gym. So I'm just going to take it a little bit easier so I'm fresh for that class later on, but I'm still hitting those rough movement patterns, you know? So again, have some sort of structure, but have that flexibility as well. Yeah, and I would also say that applies especially to longer-term planning in this case or anyone who does actually compete in a sport. Like, let's say you just compete in, let's just say, like, this mightn't be realistic for you, Dylan, but let's say you, you compete in jiu-jitsu every three months, okay? So four times a year you compete in some sort of competition. So what you could then do is say, all right, if I know that that is the structure, like when I zoom out, I know that's the structure, then it might make sense for me to like break up those those three-month blocks between each competition into different phases for my resistance training. So maybe it's the case that after competition, you do like way harder resistance training then. You do more volume, you do more intensity because you know that you're not training specifically for a competition for another three months. Then you pull that, pull it back just a little bit as you get to that sort of middle block. And then towards the end block where you're going to be doing, you know, more of that kind of competition sparring you might be doing, you might be working on specific things related to your game or whatever, as you come up to that actual competition, then for that third block, you're focused mainly on that jujitsu stuff. And your resistance training is very much there to maintain what you've built. And then again, you're able to push it on again after the competition. So I think longer term planning can be really useful there. The same thing for GA athletes or any other athlete who has somewhat of a defined season. You know, you're way better off trying to. to yeah, you're I say. And GA has a defined season. They those yeah, no, that's, what, that's why I said somewhat. <laughs> ten, ten years straight of a fucking season, they'd be like, yeah, like I actually have this and I just had uh, championships. And then fuck, we have this. And it's like, do you guys ever get a break? <laughs> Yeah, oh, especially because I have some clients who play club and county, like which is just that's what I mean, a like bit it's a, like, bit of a nightmare. <laughs> just doing everything now, are you? But yeah, you know, if you are an athlete who happens to have a sport that has a, a more defined off season, then that's your time for saying, all right, let's build up some muscle mass. You know, let's get into a calorie surplus. Let's build strength. And then as you are more in that in season phase where you're working on, let's say, more skill, more speed, more power, whatever but then you're not really focusing on that stuff quite as much. So, so do, it's not just about zooming out to consider like what you're doing on a weekly basis, but also like what might be the best times for you to do things at different points in the year. So, so there you go. The second question from Tom who asked any tips for a person starting first office job to prep, prep foods for gaining. Like I suppose like we can actually just remove like first office job here and just say, 
anyone that wants to prepare some sort of lunch. Like realistically, that's what it means. Like whether you're a student, whether you work in an office, a factory, a building site, we're talking about like what sort of tips you might give to someone who's trying to gain, which we assume is you're looking for extra calories, um, how you can prepare to, to get those calories in at work. And like, there's literally no perfect answer to this. There's an infinite amount of answers you could give. But like what I would say is that one of the most useful things that I know like you're big into Patty is having specific time each day that you cook your food. You just make it a basic habit, a basic ritual, and have a couple of core meals that you can cook on a consistent basis that you have actual flexibility in changing the calorie quantities. So if we take like, Patty, your typical, your typical meals are like mince, like keto veg, and like kidney beans. Still like that? <coughs> well, that's, your, that's your basic like. Kidney beans these days. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> That's a good, a good example though. So like more rice and potatoes now, whereas like when you were dieting in the past, it was like more kidney beans. So you've got that kind of base meal where you've got your meat and your veg, and then you adjust calories or carbohydrates or fats based on your actual goals. So you could very easily turn that into like a ridiculously calorie dense meal by adding in that rice, then adding in like handful of cashews and like olive oil, let's say. So, you know, you're really able to bump up the, the calorie density of that meal. So that is where I would start. I would ask myself, what foods do I enjoy? You know, maybe pick three base meals that you enjoy and then have some way that you can adjust the calories in them over time. So it can be the addition of oils, the addition of nuts, the addition of some, uh, the, the, the more you can, the more you're aware of the foods that you enjoy and that you're likely to eat and that are easy to prep and easy to budget for, I think the easier this becomes. And then the other thing is like, Generally, you have two breaks when you do work in any sort of a shorter break at which you're, you're unlikely to be able to eat a meal like that. So what I would do is try to consume like calorie dense snacks. So things like nuts, things like dark chocolate, even some of like the quote unquote health bars that people <laughs> consider to be, you know, healthy, like they might have 200, 300 calories, but you could easily like throw back two of those in like two minutes. So, so they're the types of things that I would be thinking about anyway. Yeah, like at the end of the day, I think this just comes down to actually planning ahead of time. Like, like, I, like you said, they're like setting a time of day that you prep meals. Like that doesn't have to be every single day. That could be yeah. you do it on a, a Sunday and a Wednesday night. You're just like, all right, cool. I'm going to prep my meals for the next three, four days, whatever it is, you know? But having that time and being like, okay, cool. I have a plan of action that I know my meals are prepared for it. There's no to and fro. Like I personally like cooking my uh, my meals in the morning. Like I wake up early. Like I, I train early as well, but I generally need like at least an hour of waking up, like or having woken up before I can train. Like I can train straight out of the, out of bed, but it wouldn't be as good a session as if I just kind of gave myself a little bit more time to kind of wake up. So I just use that time to eat some food. And while I'm eating my breakfast, I just cook my food for the day, you know? So like, I know, I know then by the time I'm in the gym, I have my breakfast consumed and I have my meals cooked for the day. And that doesn't necessarily mean I have all my meals. Like, you know, maybe I might be going for dinner with my girlfriend or something. So I'm like, okay, cool. I've actually planned for that because for me, it allows me to have that flexibility day to day where I'm like, okay, cool. I know, my rough schedule for the week so I know what food to buy for the week but then also I'm like if something comes up where I'm like I'm actually going to be out of the house for longer than I thought I was going to be or you know some something is on and I can just prepare my food ahead of time for that now that's obviously not going to work for everyone because you know some people find it hard to get up early in the morning so if you then put your time like oh cool I'm going to get up 
30 minutes earlier and cook my food for the day in the morning and you already struggle to get up to the time you're supposed to get up at, like that's, that's obviously going to be a bad time to set that for you. Or maybe you live in, I don't know, an apartment or something with other people or whatever and cooking food at 5 a.m. in the morning isn't exactly what they want to wake up to, you know? So perhaps there's that as well. Again, you just need to find a consistent time that you can sit down and prepare food. You know, maybe it is you're cooking your dinner and you actually just cook two or three extra portions of that dinner and have them for your lunch, you know? So, or even like an extra portion. So you have your dinner and then you have that same dinner for your lunch tomorrow, you know? Like all you need to do is plan ahead and pick a consistent time where you actually just prepare the food for when you need to eat it. And like Gary said, like, there's multiple foods that are higher in calorie that you can just snack snack on at that earlier break and still or and contribute to your overall caloric load but at the end of the day all that matters is you have a plan of action for this and again like we were saying with the training you can have some flexibility in that but you still need some sort of plan of action yeah and it can be surprisingly surprisingly easy like if you do need to you know, you forget your, your meal one day or you woke up late or whatever to just like catch up on calories. Like well, one of the things I used to do when I was commuting, I was commuting up from, from Killarney to Limerick for, for college. And like, I didn't want to be bringing like all my food with me for the day. Cause I already had my gym gear and all that sort of stuff. And in the shop they used to on campus, they had like one euro bag of trail mix on sale. And it was like 1200 calories. <laughs> so like I used to just get one of those like every day. It's like whatever, 60 grams of fat, about like 60 grams of protein. And it was just the easiest way of getting in like a heap of calories. So, you know, there are those, those options if you are stuck. Think about like, think about like when you're trying to gain weight easily, think about what you would definitely not advise someone to do if they were trying to lose weight. Like that, That's one of the ways I like to think about do it. Do the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, do the exact opposite. And I mean like worst case scenario, like there's no harm having like, a muffin after your workout, which could be like literally four or 500 calories, if that is what allows you to reach your goals. Um, obviously, within reason, you don't want to just like eat dairy milk for every meal, but clearly that's that should be fairly obvious. Uh, Stuart asked, views on polyphy- polyphasic cycles for a person with a hectic lifestyle. Uh, like personally, I generally wouldn't recommend this approach. I know some people do go on about it, like how humans are, like quote unquote designed to sleep in two phases, like four hours and then four hours another time. But like personally, I wouldn't advise that. I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that is actually healthy. And the way that sleep architecture seems to be split up is not just on a cycle by cycle basis, but also there's different, like there's differences in the architecture between like your first cycle and your last cycle. And they sort of change as you go throughout the night, you get different amounts of REM and non-REM sleep. So it does seem like a continuous block is beneficial does that mean that's the case for everyone i'm not entirely sure uh but like if if this is an if this is a case that you know you can only get six hours but you can get another hour and a half like another sleep cycle i'm cool with that like i think that's fairly sound but i think when you start to split it up into like four hours here and then four hours like in the middle of the day i think that can get quite messy so i would try and do like have a nap if that's the structure but with the, the knowledge that it's still probably beneficial to get a prolonged phase of sleep at night. Would you agree? I would 100% agree. Like, I just don't see the the research there. Like, and I haven't yeah. like dived deep, dove deep, whatever, uh, on like polyphasic sleep. Like I've had, I have a cursory knowledge of it, but I'm yeah. like, I just don't, I just don't see any kind of hype around it. Inter- or I don't see 
the hype around it being supported by what they're saying it's being supported by they're like oh well humans evolved to have this polyphasic sleep and it's like yeah humans also evolved to fucking go to war and eat each other so i'm like are we are we just going to say like that that's 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 what we should do like like it's a as we've talked before in that evolutionary uh, biology podcast it's like this this is like using that as your sole argument is a terrible approach like yes it works for some things and you should have that evolutionary lens be like why why did this develop you know or why do we do something like that evolutionary but that's not to say that that's the best approach that we should take you know like again like it's like okay cool are we just going to say that we should live up trees then like we evolved to do that you know like it's like like where do you stop with this you can't just pick and choose and be like oh we evolved to do this but i know we evolved to do that but i'm not going to do it you know it's like like you, you can't just pick and choose it's like again, like we're talking about the inputs, it's like there's loads of variable inputs and it's like that polyphasic sleep might have been because we had to fucking stoke the fire that we had set every night to keep the fucking wolves away, you know? So, like, again, you have to have to look at that. Like, what, why did that evolve? Why did that develop? Do we still need that? However, having said that, if you fucking find polyphasic sleep, like going for four hours here and four hours there or whatever way it's you want to structure it allows you to get more sleep, get more recovery and perform better by all means, go for it. I don't think the literature would support these kind of say micro sleeps, these micro naps, like 15 minute naps and going like, Oh yeah, I caught up on sleep or like, again, like spend an extra two hours in bed on the weekend or whatever. I don't think the literature supports that that's good. However, if you are consistent with your sleep schedule, like I think the literature would support that being beneficial. So if that looks like four hours in the night and four hours during the day, as long as you're consistent with it and your body can set some sort of pacer to that, yeah. then I, I see no see no long-term issue with it. I do see an issue with it if it's highly variable day-to-day where you're like, oh, well, you know, I got eight hours tonight and yet the next day I got six hours and I got two-hour nap here and, you know, and then the next day I got four hours and a four-hour nap. I'm like, if there's this huge variability to it, you're essentially on like a, a shift worker schedule, which we know is a, like a known carcinogen, you know? So it's like, I don't like that. Yes, you might be able to catch up on your sleep, but I don't see that actually being beneficial versus actually just sticking to a consistent sleep schedule. Plus, I don't know many people that have such an extremely hectic schedule that they can't get at least a six hour block together. Like maybe you are a business person that, I don't know, trades with Japan or something, and you're on this completely different schedule. Uh, You need to be awake in Ireland and you need to be awake in Japan at different times. I'm like, yeah, maybe then that you need to have this really fucking altered sleep schedule. But if you're just saying like, oh yeah, I just have a a general business and I go to the gym as well. And oh, it's just really hectic. It's like, you just need to organize your time better so that things are clumped together a little bit more so that you can actually have six to eight hours at the same time. In my mind, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Simple as that, really. The next question was recommendations on how to calculate maximum recoverable volume. What I would say in this case is that, like, like that specific concept is not a like that's not something that has been described from the actual scientific evidence. So it's not something that I can like point you to, 
like actual sources on. So instead what I would do like with this specific concept, which originates from like Mike Isretel and um, Renaissance periodization, I would just consult with their, their writing on this topic if that's something you're interested in because I don't want to like take it out of context or straw man it by giving you my interpretation because I think like you may as well, if, you're, if you want to understand that, you want to understand it within the context, then go watch Mike talk about that maximum recoverable volume, maximum adaptive volume, minimum effective volume, all that sort of stuff. Cause I don't think, I don't think you can take it out of the context without giving, like without giving it a fair, a fair discussion, like within the context of all that. So, so I would, I just kind of go and talk about or go and read about it there. The next question from Jamie advice for recovering from a medial collateral ligament slash anterior cruciate ligament injury and um, well like first things first you know there's no there's no single injury is in this case like whether it's a complete rupture or a very you know small strain like they're two totally different things like so one might require surgical intervention one is just like maybe a wait and see approach a type of you know conservative management so i don't have any like generic advice in this case other than if it was something that occurred in sport make sure that you get back to the level that was required to return to sport as opposed to trying to return sooner than you're able for. But like most guys would say, like listen to your physiotherapist and hopefully they'll give you solid advice because that's obviously a specific case. Um, advice for someone wanting to study physio slash being in clinical practice. Um, like my main advice for someone wanting to study physio would be like, firstly, understand what physiotherapy is um, and what you're going to learn on that course. Because I think very often people think that they're going to learn how to be some sort of like rehab guru for athletes whereas like very often physiotherapy education is actually guided towards a clinical kind of hospital based setting um it is very like a lot of the stuff that you are learning is related to like medical conditions how to operate within a hospital all that sort of stuff which is obviously really useful but i would just try and understand that first and uh, then what i would say is like you really want to develop a strong skeptical eye like for for a lot of the information that's presented to you because especially if you're coming into this from the musculoskeletal perspective so you're interested in like muscles and bones and sport etc like most of the information is just wrong and um, a lot of it's made up so i would say that like that's really important is to become re become skeptical and get a really good understanding of how to read and interpret research and also like it's not just about research it's about knowledge acquisition i guess so like understand how someone could come to a certain conclusion about something like, like where is the foundation foundational evidence for their theory that they were able to then make that conclusion i would i would always keep that in mind with all that stuff especially in physiotherapy because like there's a lot of things like even in strength conditioning and stuff, like you know this yourself where things become like accepted dogma like they become just these accepted things that get repeated in textbooks like that almost go beyond needing a citation it's like oh like we, we obviously know that's true but you need to be the one that says actually i don't trust that that is true so i want to actually find out how they figured out that that was true and very often you'll find out that oh these things actually got accepted without a lot of a lot of skepticism there's a lot of that in physio so so that's what i would say the, the only other thing that there's, I would, there's a lot of that uh, in all the applicable biological professions if that makes yeah. sense like yeah. even in medicine, and this is the thing: it's like most of them, like they're, they're relatively innocuous. They're relatively yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like one of them you could do is like lactic acid and like this this is just something that gets repeated all the time but also something like you know the mets the metabolic equivalents whatever fucking thing it's like the, the research for this is not what people use it for it's like this this is not like what you're quoting is not what this is actually for if that makes sense and again like you just need to have more it is one of those things where it's like this is exactly where experience should be helping you guide your your knowledge you know if you like you actually need to build up the experience to be able to look at these things and kind of go okay so i see where this came from and i see where this potentially is actually just like fake like it's not actually something that I should be paying attention to. It's, it's just noise, but I see why they brought, brought that in. And again, it could be something as simple as like this metric or this whatever was the best thing available at that time. You know, there's, there's no ill intent. There's no harm intended yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like, this is the only metric we had, like we had the ability to test. So it has just become dogmatic that this is the metric that we test, even though we have better you know, measurement tools. Like you'll see this again in nutrition with like people using like nitrogen balance. And it's like this, yeah, this gives you an indication of protein intake, we'll say, uh, but it, but we have better methods of testing this now. And it's like, they've actually invalidated the numbers that we're given by people still use nitrogen balance because it's like, that's, well, that's what I was taught, you know? So it's like, you, you have to, you have to build the experience and not just the experience to, read research or analyze the, the content that you get but also the experience to kind of go well my thoughts are this x y and z on this topic and i have these thoughts because of this this person having told them to me but yeah. i've actually just accepted them like let me go back and actually see how that jives with the rest of the research you know because you know you might develop theories yourself or you might read a few different resources and kind of go these aren't really agreeing with each other there's disagreement here but there's these these things that are not they're not agreeing with so you need to have developed the experience to kind of go i can see the concept these specifics now we need to kind of i need to read the research that they're using to make that assumption and whether then you need to go whether you agree with it or not or whether you think that fits in with the larger body of research again like that's just developing again what you'd call experience like it's almost intuition where you're kind of like you can look at something and go yeah i understand that or that yeah that fits with my overall understanding of these other things and it's like you can like you see people develop that intuitiveness where it's like like you it almost seems like witchcraft like you'll be like someone will go in and be like oh yeah you have or you had x y and z injury history and it's like like how did you know that it's like but like you can kind of see it in their, their, their body movement. Not that that should be used as your, your, your metric tool to kind of be like, right, it's the, your ACL. But it's like, you can see these, the, the way people move. You can kind of go, something is not working quite right there. Maybe it's an injury in the past or whatever. Again, it's not, it's not, it's not a measurement tool, but it can give the illusion that a, a person coming to this has magic abilities and i think a lot of like biological sciences do that like they 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 use their experience their intuition that they've built over years and they kind of make it seem like they have magic abilities and i I actually think that would be something very applicable in physio 
in terms of yeah. you, you can make it seem like you have these x-ray goggles or something that you're like oh yeah you have this shoulder impingement and like the way they can, they can actually do that because you know they, they might even be right because they've seen it so many times that it's like someone carrying their shoulder like this you're like okay cool i've seen this so many times that you know maybe i'm able to just visualize it and say that's what you have however like as i said that doesn't trump actually getting diagnostic stuff done to to measure that and i think individuals do use that their intuition to make it seem like they have this magic ability would you agree yes and i absolutely fucking despise it <laughs> it's like it's actually probably like one of my biggest pet peeve as it relates to physio because i see it's happened so much from people who have been educating me and they try to impress you by saying these things to patients like like there's been a number of examples where like an educator has been speaking to a patient and they'll have this particular type of pain and the person will be like or the the educator will be like oh and uh it's i i bet you kind of you sit at your desk and i bet you use this hand when you're using the mouse and stuff i'm like you're a scumbag like you're actually just you're trying because it's it, it gives the illusion of this incredible expertise that then leads to this patient buy-in but it also sells them this story and oh it just drives me mad another good example was someone told us once like they were like well, if someone walks in like leaning like this, you know, you can pretty much tell right away that they've, you know, they've got a disc herniation. I'm like, no, <laughs> like, no, you cannot. Like, absolutely not. Lots of these are asymptomatic. But yeah, that stuff just drives me mad. So, but like, this, this is something that you see as well. Like, uh, you know, what what are those people called? Those people that like do uh, like palm reading or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like ask you a load of these vague generalized questions and then just go down this pathway that you've actually created for them. And they're like, Oh, I have this secret knowledge. I'm communicating with your fucking, the ghost of your grandmother or whatever, you know? Um, and it's like, that, that, that's what they're doing. But again, like I, I don't want to completely invalidate it as well, because like there are some things that you can just obviously see if you know what you're looking for. Like if you see someone and you've seen them move before and you're like, mm, that person looks like they're kind of holding their knee a bit. Like when they step, it's like, you, you can see, you can almost assume that there is some sort of, knee pain or whatever you know if they're, they're kind of limping you know but like i do think that people use that as like magic it's like yeah that knee pain hmm. yeah you got that from squatting didn't you and it's like yeah i, I actually did and you're like hmm. yeah it seems like your uh, hamstring is a little bit short you know or some, some random like that's what i mean it's like like how did you how did you come to that conclusion like you did nothing and you just like you're, you're relying on your intuition. And again, that's not necessarily wrong because like sometimes in the medical profession, like you see this done and it's very beneficial. Like if you are say like a, an EMT or something and you're looking at someone and they're looking kind of ashen and gray and they're not looking yeah. well, you're kind of like, hmm, that actually looks like you're having a fucking stroke um, <laughs> or heart attack or something. It's like, like you're looking at these, these signs and symptoms ahead of time and you're kind of going yeah <laughs> like let's get this checked out so like i don't want to say that it's uh, completely invalid but again like it, it can be used to to sell magic and again like that's the, the, the going back to the question like if you're going into one of these fields like don't be impressed by magic tricks yeah absolutely like obviously like if someone's if someone's like femur looks like it's out of the skin popping out at their knee like i'm not going to turn around and be like 
well, pain is actually a complex biopsychosocial experience. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, there's a point where like it matters. So, so we're not invalidating all of it. Uh, the final question was, well, it's not really a question. It just says digitalization of health apps, diagnostics, rehab, real time biometrics, question mark. I'm actually not sure what the question is, but I, I guess we can give a brief opinion. Like, I know, Paddy, you think that this is definitely the future, especially as it relates to things like metabolomics, etc. But First of all, I hate when people just say a load of statements and then put yep. a question mark at the end. I'm like, did we just stop being able to use English? Like, did we, like does language not exist now? Like, do I just say, like, sky, question mark? Like, <laughs> that's, like, what, what the fuck does that actually mean? Does it like, exist? Like, exactly. Is that what you're asking me? Are you asking me, like, my opinions on this? Are you asking me, do, is this a, a thing? Are you asking, like, there's, there's so many ways to interpret that. And again, like we've talked about this before, where people ask questions being like, oh, should I take way? And it's like, like, I have no idea of your goals. Like, I literally, you've given me no context for this question. So it's like, you're just assuming that I'm presuming that everyone has the exact same goals. You know, when it's clearly not the case. However, I actually do think that this, we'll call it a, I don't even what you'd call it, digitalization, is that what they said? You know, yeah. this, this use of artificial intelligence, we'll call it, to like technology, even in general, to track these things. I actually do think that is the future. Like I actually think a, a lot of what doctors do, a lot of what healthcare professionals do will actually be gotten rid of in terms of, and I, and I don't mean that necessarily that the, the jobs will be lost. I just think that the, the things that they do won't be done by them anymore. You know? Um, like again, you see this in say the, the radiography, radiology. I always get the two of them fucking mixed up. Basically looking at pictures uh, I'm like com computers. Computers can do it better. They're like they can they can distinguish the the colors much better than the human eye can. You know, so it's like that was a, a pretty fucking good, well-paying job a number of years ago. And it's like if you're going into that now, I feel sorry for you because while someone still does need to program the computers, like they still need that that clinical experience to ensure that the computers make the the right diagnostics. Like in the next few years, it's like that's just going to be all computers and there's going to be maybe three to five jobs in the country that are like weird ones that stand over that these computers are making the right call, you know? Um, and I think it does have huge applications in terms of testing. That, that's where I see it more so, not the interpretation. Like you still, especially with stuff like blood work and genetics and stuff, like people like to play it off as if this is like the next phase of human evolution and our fucking whatever. It's like, uh, not really like, <laughs> like, yes, there is tests that we can do. There's a lot of information that we can use from our genome, our metabolome, our proteome, our fucking any of those omics. Right. But at the end of the day, it's, it's literally irrelevant unless you have some sort of interpretation model, which is that's where humans will still have jobs, you know? Um, because it, like you can look at metrics and not compare them to anything and then just presume you're in the wrong range. Like you're in a bad range, quote unquote, bad range. And it's like, yeah, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean there's some sort of disease process here or an actual issue. It's just like, that's, that's the way your genetics have played out to always mean that this value is going to be higher.
you know? So again, like I think this is a, an area that will continue to grow over the next few years, but I don't think it will invalidate the jobs that are in the, the industry, if that makes sense, you know? And I actually think it'll make some jobs more valuable that we currently undervalue. Like, like people don't want, well, some people do like the Japanese, <laughs> Japanese are mad bastards and they actually prefer like machines to tell them, uh, their like healthcare results and stuff like that rather than foreigners. Maybe they're racist. I don't know. Um, but, uh, like they, they actually like machines, but they also have a very technologically advanced society. Whereas most other societies aren't as technologically advanced. Um, so generally people prefer humans telling them that they have cancer or fucking that they're sick, you know, rather than some robot going, ding, you have cancer, you know? So <laughs> Christ. like, you know, so like most people, like even you, your reaction to that, you know, is like, Oh my God. But like okay. at the end of the day, it's like, that's essentially what the human is doing. We're just able to give that human touch to that information, you know? And that's where I think more, some jobs will become more, valuable then we currently place that value on them you know like that that human touch is going to become more valuable in a world that is more mechanized if that makes sense um but uh yeah i actually think it's a it's a it's a net positive like i think it frees up people to make better or it enables people to make better decisions it frees up their time that they're not spending trying to track all these metrics it's like if you just have i don't know a fucking ring or something that uh tracks all your your metabolomic your proteomic data it just literally gives you a finger prick every fucking i don't know hour or something i don't know um i, I see that as a, a net positive however it's going to lead to a fuck ton of misinformation and an absolute metric fuck ton of people literally swimming in an, a sea of information and having no idea what to do with it you know like people just tracking random metrics and they're literally just useless metrics like they're not actually they're not influenceable and they're not actually relevant to any outcome you know but i i see it as a net positive once we get through that initial phase yeah like i think there's definitely positive aspects to it but i would be like i'd be very conservative and somewhat pessimistic in terms of like how it plays out on an individual level in that like I think there's I think there's a lot of danger and risk of basically over medicalizing everything and people just becoming like the worried well experiencing all those nocebo effects if they if people had like more and more personal access to things like genetic information things like you know different biomarkers quote-unquote you know just to, just to see you know people are just interested just for the crack because you already see that in relation to things like 23andme people being exposed to information about their genetic risk and that actually playing out in like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a nocebo type of type of way where when people have more information that is potentially not even that influential there can be negative effects associated with that so I do agree with you in that. Like, I think the the human aspect of medicine is going to be pretty much like forever important because especially as over medicalization becomes more and more of a problem because you need to actually be able to discuss like with a human, like 
like what it means to be healthy for you as an individual. And like, I think that ties in nicely with what we discussed a few podcasts ago about the concept of flourishing as it relates to health. Because I think the more information we have, we might think that it's giving us more control over our health when in fact it could actually be taking you further away from it. Because the stress that is associated with you constantly worrying about your health, like if you, if you, if you were aware of all of your metrics every morning, that would cause you a considerable amount of stress, which has very true like neurological, psychological, immunological, endocrinological effects. Like that has very real effects on your physiology and could potentially actually make your health worse or worse. So, so yeah, like I think, I think it's interesting for sure, but I, I think it's always interesting to, to come back to like thinking about someone who like lived in a mountain, never had access to any technology live till into their hundreds like like what what can we take away from that sort of lifestyle versus being over connected and just having all this technology and all this information like like how useful actually is it so yeah obviously there's there's lots of of benefits there and i think like the the information in particular is is obviously useful for freeing up time with different professions dedicated towards testing different things um people who have you know very specific diseases that you're using specific medical for obviously that's super useful so yeah there's there's pros and cons but i think i think most people would overestimate how beneficial that might be particularly in the fitness industry where you know everyone just checks their bloods like just for the crack to kind of see what's going on and then freaks out about it like oh what am i gonna do like i'm 0.01 nanograms per deciliter under whatever you know so, uh, so like I, do, I do do look at it and i do obviously temper my views with the fact that most people can't even take their scale weight without becoming emotionally exactly. attached to the number on it. And that's literally just your relationship with gravity. It's like, uh, I don't know if you could see like your internal blood work now. Oh man, that, that would send you off on a, on a fucking mad one, you know? So like I, I do obviously temper my views with, with that knowledge, but at the same time, I think I'm like, that's just a, a lack of knowledge, you know, like that, that all of that can be sorted with, proper information like if you know that these things are only valid or they're only to be used as an adjunct to the other things like i see it as no no issue like if you know like measuring again like i'm just presuming like a, a ring or a wearable a wrist or whatever a wrist wearable or whatever that like just does all this fucking magical testing i'm like yeah like if you just know it's like it's nothing major it's just like checking your heart rate you know once you know that and once you know what these metrics mean and how they're influenced like i see it as something that allows you to get the the right medical care at the right time like i definitely see it being hugely beneficial for people with uh let's say genetic diseases something like say diabetes or um I don't know, fucking, what's that one where you can't take phenylalanine? Um, Phenylketonuria. That's the one. Uh, like something like that. Like if you can just measure your fucking blood, your proteome and be like, right, cool. I actually am exactly where I need to be with all these other uh, amino acids or whatever. You know, so like I, I do see it being hugely beneficial for quote unquote diseased populations and um, but yeah, I do obviously temper that with the, the knowledge that the fitness industry is already neurotic. So do we really need something else to make us more neurotic? No, probably not. There you go. Pros and cons. No simple answers. 
to complex problems. But there you go. That is the end of all of our questions. Nothing listening to this, that means that it's, what, what is it? It's almost the middle of June now. So, you know, we're going to have... I think it's literally like the, the 10th of June, maybe. Almost the middle of June. Almost the middle of June. Be on the lookout for our beginner's ebook in the next month. The reason that is important is because a lot of the information we discussed in this podcast and on a lot of our podcasts related to training, we're basically writing a beginner's ebook that we want to, we want to distill all these concepts into like real simple, useful stuff that you, your granny or your 15 year old cousin could read. You know, it's just, it's just all this real, you know, simple information that's taking the complex stuff and trying to put it into simple language. So be on the lookout for that. Um, because we're, we're quite excited about bringing that to the people. Other than that, it's too easy. It's too easy. I'm ending this here. <laughs>